Pitch Hat Money is brought to you by Interactive Brokers. Designed for active traders and sophisticated investors, Interactive Brokers offers trading assets in 150 markets with 27 different currencies. Interactive Brokers also charges USD margin loan rates from 5.83% to 6.83%. They've also got the ability to trade stocks, bonds, futures, options, commodities, and more, all from a single unified platform. Brett and I use Interactive Brokers ourselves, and I honestly have to say that if you spend a considerable amount of time managing your investments, if you're spanning the globe looking for new stocks, I highly recommend using Interactive Brokers as your platform of choice. Restrictions apply, but for more information, visit ibkr.com, member SIPC, open an account with IBKR today. All right, welcome in everyone. This is Chit Chat Money. My name is Brett Schaefer, and it is just me on here today. We have an interview with Jeremy Deal from JDP Capital, and we're talking Spotify. It's not necessarily a pitch on the stock, but we're going to be going through what, well, we actually just recorded it, so I know exactly what we talked about. We're going through some of the discovery tools that they're going after, some of the podcast stuff, some of the audiobook stuff, some of the relationships with the music labels, layoffs, corporate culture, a lot of stuff around what the company is trying to build over the long term for their audio uh, platform and the potential there, what's gone right, what's gone wrong, why he thinks the business still has so much potential to grow over the next you know few years and beyond, and frankly, for the next 10 years. But I won't spoil the whole thing uh, today. We, you know, we don't have Ryan on the show. He, uh, as we've talked about before, uh, started a new day job, so we couldn't join on this recording for the interview. But don't worry, he'll be. We'll try to get him on for as many interviews as possible. Uh, just for reference, we do plan these kind of long ways in advance. It does take a lot of planning for these shows, so we had some kind of in the hopper. And yeah, so don't worry about that. He'll be back on. Uh, for the not so deep dives and the power hours just like normal okay i think that's it nothing else to hit on here without further ado here is our interview with jeremy deal from jdp capital welcome to chit chat money on this show host ryan henderson and brett schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing as a quick reminder chit chat money is a ccm media group podcast Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan, Brett, or any other podcast guest is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. All right, everyone, welcome in. Today, we are joined by Jeremy Deal, founder of JDP Capital, and I would say one of the, maybe we'll call him an expert, say someone that's very passionate, knowledgeable about the audio space. Spotify in general, has been following the company a long time. Jeremy, welcome to the show. And let's talk Spotify. How have you, how did you come across them and how long have you been covering the stock? Hey, well, thanks for having me on. I'm a huge fan of the show. Um, love the content and I'm um, just grateful to be here with you today. Thanks. Thanks for that very kind, kind intro. Um, so we bought the stock I believe in late between late December uh, 2018 and very early 2019. So the direct after the direct listing, the stock had fallen about 45 percent. 
um, had been following the the what had been happening in the in the in the music industry um, with the collapse of the you know the the industry and then the resurgence of it with with the, the transition to streaming, and um, uh, was really fascinated by the opportunity that was in front of Spotify, not just in music but in the greater audio space. So I think we paid about one hundred and fifteen, one hundred and eighteen dollars for our um, kind of initial position. Um, and you know, it's just been it's been a roller coaster since then. Um, it has not always been easy to own it. Um, it's been way up, it's been way down. But I think uh, over the last four or five five years, we've made uh, we've compounded about fourteen percent a year in the position, which um, oddly enough is is about where the S and P um, has compounded since then, and um, in line with the gross profit of the company, uh, the compounding of the company's gross profit since since that time. So, um, you know, a lot, a lot has happened. I mean, I feel like the company is hardly recognizable today compared to, to then. Uh, it's up 150% this year, um, and it just was completely destroyed in 2022. So a lot of that is just maybe offsetting uh, a stock that shouldn't have been down as much as it was. Um, but here we are, and um, yeah, just, just happy to, yeah, happy to talk about it. Yeah, there's... A lot of moving parts to this company. Uh, for context for the listeners, we're recording on December 12th, 2023. Uh, and then I guess some other context. We're not going to hit the basics of Spotify. I know we talked about this a bit beforehand, too, about, you know, its business model with the music stuff that's been covered at yeah. nauseum. Um, yeah, yeah. I guess we were talking about if anyone is more interested in the details of the music industry and how that relates to Spotify and the streamers, I'd recommend go listen to our 2023 episode back in June with Sleepwell Capital. You can find that just in our feed. But maybe some context for you as an investor to see is give a short story of JDP Capital, because I think that's important maybe for the listeners to understand how you look at investing just before we get into things. Yeah, so we're we um we're looking for businesses that are where the business model is misunderstood by the market. And where there's something going on in the macro, so a trend of some kind um, that's going to support change and a transition, normally a big transition happening in a sector uh, that we can get in front of and figure out with some kind of a margin of safety and ideally own the business for five, six, seven years. So looking for companies that can compound kind of like a private equity fund would. They don't all work out that way, but that's generally the, the, the lens we're looking for. So companies with unrecognized um, earning potential. And um, so we're not necessarily coming in with the businesses, you know, a, a venture type of business, but where um, the business is self-funding, um, where there is a path to to a really long growth runway that is just not priced in. Uh, usually there's a degree of, of, um, of contrarianism or skepticism in the business when we when we when we actually invest. But then over time, that that comes and goes. So when we first invested in Spotify, it was a very controversial company. I mean, it still remains controversial around its business model, uh, but we think that that's actually a, a, a quite a competitive advantage. And so um, I don't know if that if that answers the question, but we uh, we have a concentrated portfolio, and Spotify has been a large position um, for a long time, for better or worse. Um, still believe in the company. Still think the company has a lot of upside, and. Um, one of the one of the things I like the most about it is um, the how underappreciated um, this transition of audio to the internet has been, and uh, the opportunities that that's that's unlocking, and the the value migration that's happening away from multiple sectors. And I'll kind of um, 
coercing into um, um, the 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 digital um, the digital companies, uh, the digital apps that control the that their service kind of gatekeepers for the for the consumer. Yeah, and for anyone that's more interested in JD, JDP Capital, uh, we'll have a link in the show notes as always okay. uh, to get more yeah. information on that. Uh, but okay. let's get right into it. There's a lot of mo- yeah. like as we talked about. There's so many moving parts. Uh, but, yeah, and then yeah. we just have to choose one to go into first. And mm-hmm. the first one I have on my list is kind of hitting on the advertising stuff, which is the difference between the audio and the video advertising market how Spotify's strategy has evolved here. I mean, maybe you can just mm-hmm, kick it mm-hmm. off in your overall thoughts on their advertising strategy because that's been the second pillar they've been trying to build. I think mm-hmm. investors have been a little bit, maybe they set expectations too high, but I'm curious your thoughts because people have been a little underwhelmed about the growth there, but overall thoughts, maybe we'll, I'll probably have some follow-ups there too. Sure. So <clears throat> there's there's two pieces. I think of Spotify in two pieces. One is the is the music business. And that has a business model that has been is kind of well known now and is not necessarily the greatest business model on earth because they don't get a lot of leverage or they don't they get very little leverage. Um, on, but then they have um, another bit. They the, But a part of that, that's just one part of their business model. The other part of it is that they get um, as as the pie grows, um, their search and discovery tools become more valuable. So um, labels and just anybody that wants to 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 pay for search and discovery pays. Um, and so that has the offsetting as kind of a contra, a contra account. And so that has, a, that has a way of, um, increasing margin. So you have kind of a good and bad and think of, think of <clears throat> the business model for, for the music as a little bit of a loss leader. And the third leg to that is advertising. And so advertising, um, originally was, was part of the reason we invested is because I thought the freemium approach which is, you know, the, the freemium approach, the Daniel X freemium approach was, was genius because um, if you don't want to pay for the service, you can listen to it or, or you can listen to an ad-based version of it. So what it does is it, it mitigates churn. So if you pay for the premium subscription and for whatever reason you can't afford it anymore or you just, just get a new credit card in the mail and it takes you a couple of weeks and you churn off on the premium, you're, you're not churning necessarily off the app itself. So advertising supports that. <clears throat> and, um, but advertising was always a, a small, a, a small percentage of revenue. I believe advertising is, is compounded. I mean, since we've owned the stock is compounded, um, off a very low base, but at about 24% a year. So it's not terrible, but, um, they'll do a little over 2 billion in advertising revenue this year, but, there's a lot of nuances to that. So initially, um, and I think to some degree today, you know, the value of an ad in in um, in a music, you know, on, on the music side, is is limited because there's just not that much information that Spotify has on you. Um, but as more more products are built, and as they can leverage their AI capabilities, which they've been working on for a long time, we can get into that later. Um, that they can basically take pieces of information. So pieces of spoken word, pieces of a song, break it down into tempo, break it down into bass, et cetera, and um, just generate search and discovery. So, and, and that um, allows more of an aggregation towards the super fan. So it allows you to discover music that you, that you would maybe not necessarily discover. It increases the value of the back catalog. 
for for rights holders and for music labels. So stuff that was you know long paid for, um, and just hasn't been necessarily at the top of the charts for a long time. And um, and so you you have this you have an advertising model that is the advertising business then breaks down the model then breaks down to uh, components of search and discovery and just showing an ad or listening to an ad. So um, we think that now with with subscriber growth um, kind of hitting, I think this year it was they they added a little over three hundred thousand subscribers per day, so one hundred and ten million subs uh, by the end of this year. As that grows, um, there's this interesting um, um, kind of convexity that happens with the algos that can that can come up. You know, you, you can derive just so much more information when there's more people participating on the app doing different things. So where you could infer, I don't know, you know, a hundred million different different things um, with two or three hundred million subs, um, that may go to many, many, many billions um, with the next, you know, three or four hundred uh, million subs. So there. Um, Although the so I guess I would say that the that initially, you know, when you think about the ad market, um, the value of the ad is only increasing. Um, and I think, too, we have to separate the value of the music ad and the value of the, of the podcast and now going into audiobooks ad side. So um, for podcasts, you know, they spent and they spent roughly a billion euros. It's been well documented, um, you know, building a podcast business. And they started building that in 2019 and really got going in 2020. And then we had like a really nasty ad recession in 2020, starting in 2021. So um, the market, I think, underappreciates the fact that they were just they were really building uh, a podcast uh, marketing business or advertising business really from scratch. Um, it was just it was a, a very microscopic little industry it didn't really exist um, in the way that it exists today. And they were piecing it together with a handful with two two primary platforms and a handful of really small acquisitions. Um, and then to 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 then on top of that, once it was once the technology and the ad stack, the ad tech was the ad tech stack was put into place, you know, go through a, a, a major recession, an ad recession. Um, it, it just has it has made on the surface it has made it appear you know like it was a bad investment and um, but we think that um, you know the 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 advertising side especially on podcasts will accelerate um, faster in the next you know the next you know twelve to eighteen months than it has previously so I think we're run rate two point one or two point two billion dollars um, and. Um, you know, that should be a 50, 60 percent gross margin business um, at scale or, you know, if, if the employee base is right sized, as it seems like is happening. OK, we want to take another pause today to talk about our friends, Interactive Brokers, otherwise known as IBKR. We love Interactive Brokers. Ryan and I both use Interactive Brokers on a regular basis for our investment accounts. And the reason we love them is because they have the breadth of asset classes and geographical diversification. You can invest in options, bonds, stocks, and in all sorts of markets that you can't find anywhere else, whether it's the Nordics, where we like to research, or down in Latin America, where we also like to research, or in East Asia. You can find stocks that are listed in all these local exchanges, and you can buy them on IBKR, plus so many other features that we've talked about before. If you want to check out IBKR, make sure to go to IBKR.com 
member SIPC. If you are a professional investor, if you like doing a lot of research, such as ourselves, which if you listen to our podcast, I think you do, you're going to want to check out IBKR and open and switch your accounts over there today. Yeah, we as it's always funny talking Spotify because a lot of people are listening to this on Spotify right now. And to Jet Money, we're also a podcast that is on Spotify. So we know the advertising. Uh, I don't it's probably the right term is a recession, release the podcast market. I know people can look at, say, like Google or Meta or stuff like that and say, hey, look, no, they're, they're still growing. But on the podcast side of things, it seems like we definitely were in, I don't know, probably a bubble-ish on spending a little bit, and then now we're coming back to Earth. Do you think they need to set up, like, has the groundwork been laid for what they're, at least from our point of view as someone kind of is industry insiders, I guess, having this automated advertising network where you can set it up very similarly to YouTube and you have to do minimal work on your end and it's more of okay similar to again the youtube example where you're not necessarily making a deal with the podcaster but you're having an advertising slot and then targeting to a specific consumer does that all connect back to how you're saying that they have they're gonna you know year by year get better targeting capabilities does that make sense? I feel like I was a bit confusing there. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it makes sense. You know, there, look, there's a lot going on. So let me just step back and, and talk about how, how I think about it. So the, the, bigger, the, the bigger opportunity is, is closing the gap, uh, the, the, the monetization gap between audio and, and, and video on uh, monetization on the internet. So part of the problem has been that you have a, an enormous amount of content that comes in um, on spoken in spoken word, and it's in a, a much more of an abundance, much more commoditized and abundant than even music, because at least music is 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 more difficult to produce it. Um, so there's you have this an enormous amount of content, and you have a very very low frequency of consumption. So part of the issue is is how do we? It's not just about how can we just insert random ads into X Y Z small podcast. Um, and hope that the CPM goes up. The solution and the real opportunity is to is to close that gap by by transforming the spoken word or what is on the internet in spoken word, um, and this goes for audiobooks as well, down to segments that can be repackaged and redistributed on other parts of you know maybe social media, for example. And I give you and I give you maybe just a, a, a one instance. Um, I think about like you had a great your last uh, your last show was going over some news and one of the pieces of news you covered the Spotify layoffs, the seventy percent layoff. Um, you know, I heard that same information on on why did I hear that same information on on Yahoo Finance, for example? Why didn't I have and and what I heard on Yahoo Finance was a thirty second clip. It was a ten second. It was a it was a headline with a thirty second clip and some random guy just spouting out the similar things. Why didn't and I think what you, what you all produced was much richer, much more authentic, and much more interesting. Even even down to that same you know fifteen or twenty second clip would it be much more interesting pieces of what you talked about. But why wasn't that what I consumed? Is it because I'm using the wrong platform? No, I'm using it on I'm I'm, I'm watching it on on a platform that. That we all have access to. It's because the AI is not what, what we don't have yet, and what is what is happening is we don't have necessarily a way 
to, to automatically take pieces of that podcast and convert them into sections, uh, convert that into uh, um, um, consumable content that can be consumed in, in small, small pieces um, based on relevancy. So you and I may have a, another example is you and I may have a conversation that, that spans a wide variety of topics. Um, and there may be four or five sentences of that topic that, that is, they're completely unrelated to the other, to the other bulk of the conversation. And it might be more interesting to XYZ group of people versus uh, the beginning of the podcast, what was said might be more interesting to another group of people. Well, being able to, to you can't necessarily manually know the opportunity um, to maximize the value of, of, those, of those sentences. So this is where, this is where um, you know, I guess you could say generative AI comes in and what, what what pods, one of the acquisitions of Spotify did in, in 2001, and just some other work that they've been doing in Gen AI for, for s- several years. Um, this is where the advertising opportunity opens up because it's not just necessarily about how do we take a one hour podcast that, you know, and, and try to convince people um, who have never listened to the podcast to take an hour of their time to listen to it. And they may or may not be that interested in it. Or if they want to listen to 10 or 15 minutes of it, they don't even know where to begin. So how do we how do we create a product that um, takes pieces of that and allows ads to be shown depending on where you know regardless of where it's 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 being actually consumed. So if you're consuming this in the in the go, going back to the, the example about Yahoo Finance, well why couldn't that have been your uh, you know thirty second clip from your podcast? Um, and why could and, and there, there were ads that were shown against that whether I consumed it on X, whether I consumed it on YouTube, whether I consumed it on on even Spotify. Um, there were ads shown against that, that Yahoo Finance made money. And this is how an example of how you should be able to make money. But no, I don't think that um, we could just look at, like I said, long form content and hope that, you know, some miraculous way you're going to be able to insert ads um, that are really valuable um, and based on the personality graph of, of, of the person within Spotify, because Spotify doesn't have information on you outside of what you're consuming in Spotify. But that doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily a bad thing. And that's not necessarily a game changer. That's what people are used to hearing as a bear case against maybe YouTube, for example. But in going forward, what we know um, is that the capability exists. And you can already see examples of it in your feed when you look at podcasts. It's pulling out two or three sentences of a podcast as you scroll through to try to grab your attention. And the sentences that it's pulling out um, are somewhat customized based on based on your uh, based on what it thinks you might be listening or might be interested in. And the more products you consume on the app, and the more the more uh, a consumption on the app, the more that, that that they can infer, and the more that the algorithms can pick up and determine, um, hey, this is this person might be interested in this short clip about th- this about this piece of information here, or or that might be we might be able to take this clip of something you talked about and convince somebody to actually make that one hour investment in the podcast. But I don't necessarily think that they, in the future, that you'll have to make that one hour investment in the podcast for them for, in order to monetize it in order for the monetization to, to be effective. So this is where, you know, when I've said before, and I've said in past letters, this is where we think the monetization gap is somewhere between, I don't know, call it, 5x to as much as 50x between audio and 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 video so when you have these big step changes 
in technology. Um, for example, the transition from the desktop to mobile unlocked, we'd all know and we all understand the opportunity that unlocked in video and modernization of video. But all it did for audio was move the recorded word onto the internet. It didn't do anything more than that. So this is the opportunity, um, the bigger long-term, the, the longer tail opportunity that I think is actually right in front of us and is happening now um, um, to, to drive um, not only personalization, but into driving you know, um, higher margin, um, higher value advertising. And there's no other way that, that, that Spotify could even remotely get to the goals that it has of you know, I don't remember what is it, forty percent of revenue being advertising or something. Um, but again, they're about going, coming off a very low base. But there's no way they could achieve those goals unless they, unless something like that happened. So that's just, um, I don't know if that's that's a little bit too too much of a deep dive on, on that topic. But let me know if. if that's perfect. Now that's totally yeah, perfect. Yeah. The uh, okay. yeah, yeah. I, I I mean, I think there's a lot of ways to go here. I want to hit on the AI audio capabilities, but one thing that I think relates to you said, you know, they need to get to this point that you just talked about. Uh, the where they can five they can bring you know the audio market into what it's like with video and have the stuff you know where yeah, there's all this of the, yeah. Or yeah, or yeah, yeah. It, it's not going to ever similar. be the same. We we don't expect it to be one to one, but I mean, you're talking about a base. I mean, the, sorry. Uh, you're I think so with podcasts specifically, and with some of the other stuff that relates here as well. You have the competition with Apple Podcasts, and they are maybe a not like dynamic app. You know, we've all had the issue the discussions are i guess in the podcasting world about how you know the discount mm -hmm. downloads they don't have the tracking spotify obviously has a difficult relationship with them with their two uh distribution platforms spotify for podcasters yeah. uh, formerly anchor and then megaphone do you think mm -hmm. how important is it for them to continue stealing market share from apple and if they ever got a dominant market share position like what what could that unlock for them what do you mean by dominant market share position? Because Spotify has uh, the dominant market share position and paid in 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 paid um, subscription for music, uh, music on, on 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 podcasts. So I know they're they've caught up. They're 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 winning. But say like within podcasts, you know, we're still kind of in fifty fifty on our show. I think that's kind of the numbers out there globally. What yeah? What could that help yeah. with like the advertising yeah. capabilities? Because it seems like when they have to do the advertising stuff with Apple, it's 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 much more difficult. There's a lot of friction there. Well, it's. I mean, I I think that the value proposition for listening to Spotify is is very different than that. Each platform has its own value proposition. It's kind of like buying a car, at least a car that you drive. Um, some people prefer Toyotas, some people prefer Volkswagen, some people prefer, prefer Kia. I mean, they are just really different experiences. And Spotify's focus is just adding more and more value, um, adding much more value than they take. And, you know, like they added 300,000 subscribers per day and, you know, this year. And um, this has been happening despite competition this whole time. So, um, I don't necessarily think that, you know, I think the platform is, is, is large enough to be able to start um, making inroads. And again, you're talking about a, only a little over $2 billion or 2.1 billion or 2.2 billion run rate 
base. So it's very low. But just back up for a minute. I mean, if you look at the, let, let's just say this year consumption, I don't know what consumption, total consumption on the platform of Spotify is going to be this year, but let's just say it's 150 billion hours. Um, we'll find out when the when they file their version of a 10K um, in Q1 uh, for 2023 year end. But let's just say it's 100, 140, 150 billion hours. If you spread that out um, over the over the uh, the the revenue of uh, the, the advertising revenue, it's like a little over a penny a minute or a penny an hour. It's it's almost nothing. So that's that's kind of where I start and say, you know, it's not necessarily about Apple versus YouTube versus Spotify. Just looking at Spotify's engagement and, um, you know, the, the number of, of hours consumed on the platform relative to the amount of money earned um, in, aver- in advertising revenue is just mind-blowing. Now, you could look at that and just say, wow, that's that's really shitty. Um, what a bad business. Or you could look at it and say, wow, what enormous upside they have, uh, especially when you compare it to um, what people you know, spend or how much is earned off of the average hour consumed in North America off video. So um, just to put a little more context to that, um, and these are really, really rough numbers. And if somebody has anything to add, please, you know, send me a uh, DM me on X or send me an email or whatever. But um, in North America, let's just say roughly um, you, you know, the, what we're seeing now in in terms of video um, subscription, what people are spending on content is, is on average about $60 a month. So some people are spending 100, some people are only have Netflix and spending maybe 20. And so this is a combination of content usually that is some is paid with no, no advertising and some has advertising. So if you spend the, you know, the average American, we're, we're using the saying 120 hours a month of, of TV consumption. Um, and they're spending 60 plus dollars a month um, plus the amount of money. So that's, you know, 50 cents or something, uh, 50 cents an hour. Uh, but then you add on top of that money that's earned on on behalf of that consumer spending 120 or watching 120 hours a month. So you add up the advertising revenue that's earned, the small advertising revenue that may be earned on top of that. So let's just say it's 60 to 70 um, cents per hour that's being generated from the typical consumer in, in North America watching television, so the U.S. and Canada. Um, you compare that to Spotify's advertising. So if you're on the freemium model, you're at one point, you know, three cents a minute and, or an hour. And let's just say that's um, double. Let's say in North America, you actually earn double. And the 1.3 is maybe not a fair estimate because it's spread out over emerging markets where the CPMs are really, really low and sometimes not existent. So India. So let's just say it's double, right? Let's just say you're getting two or two and a half cents per hour um, compared to between, you know, let's call it 60 cents and a dollar an hour for video. So there is... I, I think my interest in, in our focus is just the size and the sheer size of the opportunity. Um, if you are a paid premium subscriber for for Spotify, um, you know there was a, something that came out the other day on on Wrapped saying that you know the some of the you know, more heavy users of Spotify or the premium subs, people that responded to this survey on how often or how many hours do they they stream Spotify, um, the average respondent that's a premium subscriber. It's like 27 or 26 and a half thousand hours per year. Well, there's many examples of people that spend up to 90,000 hours a year, especially which is, you know, roughly, you know, three, four hours a day. 
So if you think about a young person or that's really interested in, you know, that's, that, that, that loves a certain, you know, genre of music or, you know, listens to a bunch of Taylor Swift or somebody like me who consumes a ton of podcasts and a ton of information for research, um, you, it's absolutely normal to for, for kind of consumers or paid premium subscribers um, to to spend three maybe plus hours a day on the platform. So if you think about, let's just say the average of premium subscriber is at a hundred, only a hundred hours a month in in North America. Well, now you're at like you know you're paying eleven dollars a month. It's like 11, 11, 10, 11, 11 cents an hour. Um, and how much are they earning in on top of that? And in, in or how much is somebody earning in in advertising revenue on top of that? So maybe, like we said, maybe it's double the average of 1.3 cents per hour. So maybe it's two and a half or three cents an hour on top. So you're at 12, 15 cents an hour. Best case scenario uh, for a premium sub in North America compared to that 60, 70 plus to a dollar plus, you know, per hour um, in North America in video. So the sheer size of the spread. And look, there's a lot of ways to slice this. Um, and you could argue all kinds of statistics. And there's people probably that have a premium account that never use it at all. And there's people that they're on it 10 hours a day because it's streaming and, and, and it's streaming in the background. And so maybe it's skewed. Somebody's account is skewed. I'm just saying that there's no way you could look at this and, and not see just a gaping hole that's a result of technology or AI that was not necessarily ready for audio when it was ready for 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 video meaning um on the internet there was we were able to to monetize video much faster and easier um than we were uh, spoken word because the spoken word is just like i said been taken the spoken word that was consumed on another platform either radio or word of or just between two people and put online and that long form content is preventing um the, the maximizing of that um, of that value. So whether you know Apple could obviously do something similar, um, YouTube could do something similar. It's just the pie is so big, um, and I absolutely expect you know all the other platforms to follow Spotify into to into audiobooks um, into fight using Gen AI models, large LLM models um, to 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 slice and dice. Um, Podcasts and audiobooks and even music and um, to be reused in other areas to in order to 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 grow advertising revenue, but um, I would say that you know yeah Spotify is is an enormous platform it's, that people love and will continue to grow. It's 190 countries. They should be at a billion subs in three years or less, um, is our thinking today. And um, you know again you're coming off of a low base of advertising spend and it's a, it's a relatively small market cap. So um, there's always competition, and um, I think the more that the competition embraces the ability to to to, to find a way to uh, or embraces a, a Gen AI models to um, to maximize the value of of, of spoken word on the internet, um, it just kind of helps unlock advertising dollars and new creative ways uh, to make money with audio that just didn't exist before. So I think it's just it's a it's a big 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 pie. Yeah, and you mentioned the how far behind audio is. It's it's very perplexing to me, or I don't even know if that's the right word. Of podcasts started getting popular around 2010, maybe 2008, and it's kind of this upward trajectory. And radio 
linear radio that's the same kind of style and terrible audio quality that's been around for a hundred years still has such a large market share in the United States where the pod, where podcasts first started out there. So there's just such a long runway to grow for digital audio. I, one thing I want to hit that I think we talked about in our pre-discussion that I think is quite important is the Sonantic acquisition and AI-enabled audio capabilities. I know there was a rumor, or not a rumor, um, I believe it was uh, Bill Simmons at The Ringer mentioned that they're training yeah. his voice to do ads in his voice that he actually doesn't say. So you can do these targeted advertisements that don't have to record, you know, a thousand ads with uh, himself. What do you, what do you think about the semantic acquisition and how it connects to the thesis here? What I like about for, so for all the, 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 the bad or the crap that Daniel Eck gets um, for capital on capital allocation, what I do admire about him is he, as I see, um, pieces of Jeff Bezos, where Jeff Bezos would take small shots. And when something didn't work, he would shut it down. And I see that with Daniel Eck. What they do is they make very small acquisitions, most of which don't even have to be reported. It's the only way you can see kind of an aggregate what they've what they've spent on acquisitions in the cash flow statement. So they, they buy small little companies that they think have some an interesting team or interesting tech that can add value to their broader strategy. And I think this is just an example of that. Um, they've made, we, we know about a lot of acquisitions, some were really small, 50 million or less, um, where, you know, they got some interesting tech, um, or they got an interesting, you know, team of people, it was, or it wasn't successful at all, and they sort of shut it down, or it became the basis or the foundation for um, something really important for Spotify, whether it's the, I think there's a story where they made a small acquisition that turned into what they now have today as, as, as um, as the uh, as the, you, the the music like playlists playlisting was I believe I, I could be wrong about this but I believe the playlists were a result of the technology behind the playlists were the result of a small acquisition so I think this is just an example of um, a small acquisition that that they made that is super interesting I mean yeah if you can take a podcast and press a button and change it to you know have it translated into tons of languages I mean it just it, it just adds. Um, it just opens up, a, a, you know, Spotify's in 190 countries, so there's a lot of languages. And um, if you can make that sound authentic, that is just, it's just an enormous tailwind. And obviously, the, the probably even the, just as big of an opportunity there, and we could talk about this, is, is audiobooks. So that, that same tech um, applied to audiobooks just, just increases the TAM that much bigger. But again, just to back up to the bigger audio theme, um, whether it's just spoken word, whether it's podcasts or, or audiobooks or just uh, even uh, just deconstructed, just two people having a chat, just an, an informal chat. Um, you know, the, there's just so much that can be done with that. That's not just simply putting it on the Internet. So, I mean, think about the type or you know, the, think about text. Um, when you, you know, if, if everything was, I mean, this was kind of, you know, th- there's some people that, that compare, you know, the opportunity in search and discovery and audio to kind of what Google did with text. Um, and maybe it's obviously probably not the same. Um, but just think if the only thing in the early days of the internet, all you did was scan or tech, you know, scan things and kind of put it up on in a server. And that was it. There was no way to slice and dice it. There was no way to pull excerpts from something, um, you know, or just people, what people wrote an article, somebody wrote an article and you had to read always the entire article, but we've evolved to a world where we can consume text, um, just 
pieces of text. You don't have to read, you don't necessarily have to read a 10 page paper to pull out, you know, three or four sentences of something that gives you an answer um, to what you're searching for. And so this is sort of the broader opportunity in audio. And part of that, you're going to have to have tools in the two-sided marketplace, which, which is, I, I'm imagining that's where this will go. Um, you're going to need tools um, that the creator can use to, to make sure that their, their, the spoken word or their, you know, their product can be, can be consumed um, not only on a frequency basis, not only taken down to short form, and 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 consumed in many ways that probably they would didn't think was possible for, but obviously in other people, you know, other languages as well. So, yeah, I think it's one of many many tools that that um, are, you know, are are necessary to in in the steps to evolve uh, the monetization of audio on the web. Yeah, and that's a good segue to another topic that we discussed beforehand, and I was. I thought it was interesting how you framed it as the two-sided marketplace, the discovery as the most powerful tool for Spotify going forward, let's say over the next, you know, five years or so. Yeah. Why do you think that? Well, because you have, as long as you have, as long as you have consumption growing, um, you're going to need, you're going to need the, the more stuff that's, that's on the, the app, the more product, the more there is to listen to, the more important search and discovery is. So just take it, let's go back to the, to the, um, um, to the labels, to the music labels, as an example, um, or even fast forward to the audio, the, 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 or the, uh, not the audio, but fast forward to the, to the, um, the book publishers. I mean, it's a very similar dynamic. We have a handful of, of, you know, maybe three core, three or four publishers that control the industry, similar to the music industry. So the music industry, um, you know, once they lost control as the as gatekeeper to the consumer, um, it completely changed. You know, it so they have that. So as Sleepwell talked about, there's two components to the music business. There's the backlog or the back catalog, and there's the the talent acquisition. And they they need that to work in harmony. It's kind of like a hamster wheel. You know, you you invest, you take this venture capital type of investment up front, and then hopefully, you know, you have this back catalog that you own forever that you can make money on for the next you know 50 years. And once they lost control of the consumer, because they used to control the consumer through CD, through radio, through the record shop, et cetera, I mean, they really controlled what you listened to, uh, what came out. Um, and it used to be that if you wanted to build an audience, you'd have to go sell, you know, CDs on the corner for an hour or for a dollar or something and try to get people to, to listen to your, to your CD and, and go somewhere where they could find you. So as that's changed and um, there's just been an explosion of, of content um, out there, audio content. So, um, you know, just talking about music, um, the, the, it, it, it does two things. It makes the, it makes the talent acquisition piece much riskier and more expensive for the labels than it's ever been because they have to spend a lot more and they get a lot less for it. You don't have to give up your, 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 uh, your masters necessarily anymore. And there's a lot of information out there on that. Um, um, you don't necessarily, and, and, and the deals that are being done with, with artists um, are shorter term in nature, and they may not include, um, you know, they just, they're just not as rich as they used to be. So that payoff that the labels used to get is very, very different. So what becomes more important is maximizing the value of the back catalog that they already own. And when they do have a hit, when they do find something, you know, and maybe only have access to it for two years or five years or something in, in the, you know, the master they really need to maximize the value of it. So paying 
um, to for search and discovery becomes more important than it's ever been in a, in a situation where you just have, I don't know how many songs are on Spotify now, people say 100 million, but I think it's a lot more than that. And, and then you then you add on top of that podcast, just audio in general, um, it's just an endless supply of two people talking. And now you have audio books, um, which again is just endless, endless, endless amount of, of listening that could happen. So the, the more that the barrier to entry, uh, or at least the access to the, the, to the consumer um, is taken away, the more valuable the search and discovery piece becomes. And not just on Spotify, but on all the platforms, on TikTok, on, um, on YouTube, on X, on all these platforms. So they're all going to kind of roll between, um, you know, some version of the, you know, the top of funnel and you're going to pay for that. And, um, you know, a lot of this content becomes a CAC or customer acquisition cost or something else that the owner, the rights owner wants to sell or was attached to that right. So you might um, be willing to invest a whole bunch of money in a certain song or a certain podcast or a certain book in order to sell um, an adjacent product that, that really has nothing to do with that. Maybe it's a, an a, a, a artist wants to, you know, um, um, you know, sell clothing or something, uh, something completely unrelated to it. So you need to build that super fan audience. And um, so regardless of, of, of what the audio is, um, just like in text on the rest of the web and, and, and video, um, search and discovery is everything. And that's where ultimately the value will accrue. And it'll accrue um, to those those platforms that have the, the widest um, array of consumption and engagement on their platform. And um, Spotify is one of those. It's just, you know, not a two trillion dollar company. Yeah. I so mean, that's the bigger. So that's that's the bigger. That's the bigger. Um, that's kind of the the bigger story, the bigger picture idea. Um, and why I think the two-sided marketplace, you know, which was built, you know, started by less than 20 million in revenue um, in 2018. Um, it's probably, th- we're guessing it's 300 million in revenue, USD roughly this year. I think it'll be, you know, 10% of gross profit maybe next year, the year after. Um, but I think what they've learned um, with that model is how to, how to apply it to um, other verticals. And audiobooks is the latest vertical that they'll be applying that to. Because, you know, it's clear that authors aren't really making any money. I know I just listened to the, I just finished the Elon Musk book, um, listening to it on, on Spotify with my 15 free hours of my premium account. And I didn't, I don't know how much money is going to that author, but it can't be much. Um, and so, you know, again, like over time, this is a, you know, the, the, the opportunity to, to, to charge people for search and discovery, um, I think is the, is, is an interesting Avenue. Uh, when you add on top of it all the tools, like we just talked about, like voice and and um, language, you know, stuff like that, translation, uh, publishing, um, um, digital publishing. Those are just tools that, that the way I think of them inside of a, a bigger two sided marketplace that goes that goes beyond music. Yeah, and I think that's uh, an example of that because for anyone that's not maybe super honed in on this industry can be hard to wrap your head around or even if they don't use spotify i showed with you before when we were doing kind of prep for the show is a new thing that they give out on the spotify for podcasters which if you don't know for any listeners is how you distribute things is they give a spotify impressions data source which is not listens it's more of like how many times has it been served you know your 
podcast or you know, for us it's podcast, but it could be music, could be audio, audio books, could be whatever on the Spotify homepage or the Spotify search results or in your Spotify library. And yeah. I mean, right now for us, they're giving us over a hundred thousand, I guess it's free, you know, impressions uh, at this moment because we're not paying for anything, but that's very valuable. You know, they're surfacing that stuff yeah, yeah. for discovery. Now they're doing the changes on the homepage. And kind of part of your thesis, it seems like, is that they've applied some of this to music and there's still a long runway to grow for music, especially as, you know, they add 100 million users every year. But that can also be applied to podcasts fairly seamlessly because it's not. There are some nuances, but when it's search, when it's discovery, they'll figure out the nitty gritty, but it's not that much different at the end of the day. You're providing so much value for a podcast such as Chit Chat Money or the millions of others around the globe. And they'll take a cut of that at the end of the day. Absolutely. The dynamic ad insertion product moving away from the RSS feed, you know, all that. I mean, I, I think that the business is being built on top of music. And I've said this from the very beginning um, of buying the stock. I think the businesses being built on top of music are going to be much more valuable than music itself. I think music is simply just um, um, somewhat of a means to an end. And um, that is definitely not a mainstream view, but that's how, you know, we're looking at, I think the parabolic growth curve of the business is definitely in front of us and not behind us. Um, and it's because, and, and again, why I think the company ended up being so bloated is because there's this, um, um, there's this understanding that people that, you know, understand the opportunity. Um, when you see the size of the opportunity, I could see how, you know, how, um, you know, it's it's really a priority for the business, or re- really a priority for for the team, for Daniel Eck and the team to to really push forward um, into these other verticals and apply what they've learned in music to their verticals that that I think could be that that, that don't have the baggage that um, the music deals, the typical you know music uh, label agreements have. Um, so, yeah, like audio no, I mean, it's, it's, it- yeah, it's it's yeah, it's interesting. Uh, do you want to talk anything in audiobooks? I do have a uh, we have we have something on the podcast content strategy, which I know is a big, uh, I don't want to call it bear case, but it's a gripe investors have. So, do you have anything else on audiobooks, or should we get to the podcast uh, content stuff? Um, audiobooks. I mean, it's it's interesting. I, uh, the way it's evolved is not the way I thought it would evolve, but I'm actually happy with it. Um, like 15 hours a month with a premium subscription and then you have the option to buy more. It's great. I mean, just think about, again, what I like about it is think about how, how small that industry is. So books, what I read online, this could be wrong. And if I'm wrong, please, please, somebody, please correct me. But I read it's like 140 billion a year business, just books, um, publishing, um, audio, audio books are like 5 billion, but then streaming, audiobooks so where you're not actually purchasing the book online like audible where you're just streaming the content is way way less than five billion i couldn't find a number on that so i would assume less than half um and so what they're doing is you're you know when they bought find away books which is the platform they're using to to grow this business which was the number one player in audiobook distribution and tools to create creating audiobooks um what's attractive about that business is the the margins are much higher because um the the platform where an audiobook is listened to 
um, generally takes somewhere. I mean, I, I read that Apple takes around 45 percent. Uh, Audible takes between 25 and 40 percent, depending on if you're exclusive with them or not. So let's just say, you know, 45 percent. Um, because that's what Apple takes. Um, they'll take plus the you, you pay for um, tools to to build. So if you want to publish, it used to be a really big deal to create an audiobook, which is why there aren't that many audiobooks out there relative to the number of books. Um, and there's there's actually a lot of podcasts you can listen to on how to you know, how to create and and how to build an audiobook. And it's just fascinating um, how difficult it is to find a narrator, to find to get into different languages. Um, it's just tedious. It's difficult to find the right person to read it it's in, and then the right person to begin and end on the same tone and, you know, to begin the book and end the book with the same, you know, without feeling it, without sounding exhausted and um, to find a voice that actually resonates with the crowd, um, with the, the listeners in that culture, you know, in that country, in that subsect of people. So it's, and it's fascinating. So um, there is a clear opportunity there, and I don't know how that's going to shake out, but I can imagine that um, it's going to be a big opportunity for the audio industry, or for the audio book, or just the, the publish, book publishing industry generally, and they may not realize it yet. Um, maybe they do, but um, it's been a lot of negative press because they're worried what happened to music is going to happen to them, meaning all this, the, the value goes to the very top percentage of books, but um, the most successful books. But um I think there's, you know, it's just a, it's just a fascinating opportunity because you're starting off just such a small base and you're marrying something that's so important to the average person, just consuming books um, with, you know, 600, you know, 600 million subscribers and a, a revenue base, an industry revenue base. That's almost laughable how small it is in size, which is where podcast was uh, podcasting as an industry was just a few years ago, a couple, two, three years ago. So I just love that, that setup. Um, it's to me, it's just, it's interesting. There's just a, a lot of ways to win a lot of ways to the top of the mountain. Yeah. I mean, it seems like there's but, a ton uh, of opportunities there and it's hard to kind of formulate what their thesis is so far, but Hey, they've been very successful. I think no, even the most bearish person on Spotify cannot complain. They make a good product for uh, their users. And I wouldn't doubt they're yeah. going to do that with audiobooks as well. Yeah. One thing that and I mentioned, uh, mentioned before we talked audiobooks yeah. that a lot of investors complain about, you see it in all these news articles, is the podcast content strategy, spending all this money. You know, they mm -hmm. had the bad deals. Right. I think they would admit with kind of going after some celebrities for some hype, you know, the Kim Kardashian deal, yeah. the Meghan Markle deal. And we talked about before about how why this may not have been a, a mistake. I mean, those specific ones obviously weren't the greatest deals. But I kind of agree with you there. And I'm, I'm curious your take, you know, uh, how – Spending on Joe Rogan, spending on the Color Daddy show, spending on some of these big shows to make yeah. them exclusive or just within their network, why it can be so valuable for them and why they might be getting good returns on these expensive looking deals. I think it's very easy for the for the media to talk about these high profile people like the Meghan Merkel situation. I mean, my understanding is that I mean, I don't know how much they lost, but it wasn't much. And so very it's just pocket change um i think that you know if you back out the joe rogan deal um how much was actually lost in content um you know content that they produced I, I just don't think it was much and i think you know that's part of the recipe when you're inventing an industry is you're going to have to break some eggs to make an omelet i mean if, the, if we applied this to any other industry that was a startup that was just starting up from 
really from scratch. Um, of, of course, you're going to spend uh, 10 basis points or 20 basis points of revenue or gross profit on trying a whole bunch of things and, and seeing what sticks. The bulk of the money was spent on the platforms um, that they acquired, which um, were, were were home runs. I mean, you you could not let's let's invert this. Um, could you spend one billion today and be in the place that Spotify is in with podcasting? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. There is no way that for one billion that a platform of its size could press a button and have, I don't know, 50, 60, whatever. I don't, I, I don't, I, I'm afraid to, to say what I, what I think the consumed hours and uh, outside of music is, but let's just say it's 30 or 40 billion hours a, a year. Um, to press a button and, and, and own an industry like that, or maybe that test technically they're in second place uh, to Apple sort of, uh, if, if you just look at podcasts or whatever, but um, you couldn't replicate that for a billion dollars or a billion, billion euros. So yeah, they broke a few eggs along the way. So what? It makes for great headlines because you're talking about celebrities. Longer term, um, I don't think they want to own any content. I don't think that they're a content business. You know, YouTube doesn't own any content necessarily. I mean, they don't really own, they're not really in the content ownership of podcast business. And I don't think that um, that they necessarily, that, that Spotify sees itself as a content owner. I think they had, they felt that they needed to acquire some some famous people and initially and produce some podcasts on their own so they could experiment. Think about it as McDonald's, like McDonald's is a franchisor, but they still actually own a handful of their own stores. Why is that? Um, I believe that they, one of the franchise or one of the stores they own is in Paris is one of their, one of the highest grossing stores in the world. They, they, you know, the franchisor will always keep a handful of stores so they can learn, so they can test things. Um, it's, it's, you know, so and I, I think that, yeah, maybe Spotify will always have one or two things that they own, maybe. But I don't think they necessarily want to be in the podcast podcast content ownership business. I mean, um, they've talked about this extensively. But, you know, when the industry was just getting going, I think it made sense to 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 to, like I said, just to just to experiment, get some people on the platform with some high profile names and with the goal of bringing on other people's podcasts of highly produced content onto the platform. And I think that's been very successful. So I, I don't think you can name, um, you know, a, a list of successful podcasts that are not on Spotify. So whether they're owned by whoever owns them, um, name any of the competitors that also produce content, um, that you can generally listen to everything on on Spotify as well, because that's where the consumer is. That's that's a key place where the consumer is, and so in a way they've won. And if you look at that as a return on investment, um, it's been it's been a great investment because they now are you know that what they want is the New York Times that they want they want everybody to put their podcast through through um, onto the onto the pot onto the 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 platform and um, use their dynamic ad insertion to decide how they want to get paid. Do they want to get paid in a subscription? Do they want to get paid in ads? Do they want to, how do they want to share that ad revenue? Um, do they want to, how, how do they want that to look? How do they, what kind of ads do they want shown against that content, et cetera? So that's really the long-term goal. And I think people were completely overreacting to this, you know, this spend. Um, again, even if you look at the total $1 billion, it's just not a lot of money, um, especially relative to how much money the the, the music side of, of the business makes. Um, we didn't really talk about we haven't really talked about financials yet, but um, 
you know, it was from day one, we could see that Spotify just prints money. I mean, it's actually, you know, I know it doesn't on a gap basis make money, but uh, we think the, you know, the music business may require a thousand people, our guests. We look at Deezer. Deezer has 600 employees. I mean, I know it's a much, much smaller business, but um, how many employees do you need to run that core music business? So I think it's a little bit like Amazon back in the, you know, a decade or two decades ago when everybody t- complained about profitability, but there was actually, it was actually a very profitable business that was reinvesting 100% of its gross profit back into the business. And I think that's what was happening. I think you have a core music business that's making somewhere between 1.5 or 2 billion euros. Um, if you were to take it down to its bare bones status and say, okay, how many employees do we need to run this? Maybe it's a few hundred, maybe it's a thousand employees. Um, compared to let's call it three billion in gross profit, um, you know it's a very profitable. I think it's a very profitable business. It's just that they've chosen to reinvest that, um, and they have a long runway to do that because they, you know, they, they make enough money on the music side. So again, yeah, I think the podcast stuff, the 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 one billion invested is is a again a drop in the bucket and something that couldn't be replaced, and we will look back on as as a genius move. Yeah. And you mentioned financials. We're going to think as we wrap up here, we have a couple more questions. So we're still going to go for a little while. Yeah, sure, the, sure, sure. We're going to come back to a little bit more of the financials, a little bit more of the investing yeah. things. I know all that stuff connects yeah, yeah, together yeah. to their long-term competitive position. I think maybe first, this is a bit of a smaller one, but the price increases on the music side of things, I think from my seat is a bit underappreciated. Actually, well, it may be appreciated a bit better now, but after they did the price increases, it's it's been a little bit more appreciated. Um, I think two things there. One, how much can they continue to raise prices in these wealthier markets? Because I know I always like to ask friends, since you know I'm still I'm, I'm very interested in following the stock. You know, it's bonus for uh, sometimes it's been on, it's been on my watch list for a long time. Um, and I say, hey, like, look, they did you see that they raised prices? Uh, and they usually either say, like, no, they didn't even notice because you know the value is so high there. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, you know, they yeah, raised yeah. it by they're like, How much did you raise it by? And they're like, Oh, they yeah. raised it by a dollar. And like, oh yeah, I mean, well, they could raise it to 20. I'm not gonna cancel. And then the second thing I want to talk about uh is the better potential unit economics they get when they raise prices for these new dollars that they're sharing with the labels. Yeah. Pricing power is um, a function of how much value they're delivering for the consumer. So I think if it was just a music app, it would have less pricing power than a music app plus podcast. If it was just music and podcast, it would have less pricing power than music, podcast, and audiobooks. So the more value they add, the more people are willing to pay. And I think with audiobooks just getting started, it just it just makes $11 a month seem like a very, very small amount of money. I mean, you know, it took Netflix a long time to raise their prices above $10 a month. But when they started, um, once they realized how hooked people were, and again, this is in in the face of YouTube, which people talk about millennials and everybody just watches YouTube all the time. But Netflix just has has produced incredible pricing um, increases. You know, they've proven pricing power and resilience there um, despite all the competition. An enormous amount of competition, you know, Apple TV, you know, in front of all that, Amazon, they still are able to keep on increasing prices. I think it's over $20 a month. Is it $19.99? It's $20 a month or something now um, for the ad-free Netflix, um, Netflix subscription. So 
um, yeah, I think I think there's as they add more value, they can increase more. And I think it's a very undervalued service now, especially with audiobooks. Absolutely, um, as we know, just listening to earnings calls, they hesitated. They they weren't raising prices before, not because they didn't think they couldn't, but because they weren't getting any leverage from the labels. And I think they held the labels feet to the fire and said. Um, you know, spend what I think happened, and I think this sort of echoes with what what Sleepwell was saying on the on the interview in June that we talked about at the beginning of the conversation. Was I think that the you know it needed the the labels realized like okay wait wait Spotify is you know if you look at the if you look at the the risk profile or the risk um, section of of the of the music labels, you know Spotify is the very first in the very first section risk section. I mean, it is, you know, it's a very important part of their revenue model and their their financial profile and um, their setup for growth. And the expectation of terminal value in the music labels is linked to the ability of Spotify to be able to raise prices. So, you know, that huge multiple that or high multiple that you're basically paying for a for a for universal music because it's, you know, a steady eddy kind of mature business uh, with high returns on capital. Well, if something were to happen with Spotify, that would change. They need Spotify to be able to move forward and raise prices in order for them to also grow. And yes, they're doing business with a lot of other people as well. They're doing business with TikTok, they're doing business with Apple, they're doing business with Amazon, et cetera, but in all in very, very different ways. The way they do business with TikTok is very different because it's short, short, it's it's not as much of a music consumption business. Um, the money that the the value of a of a 10 or 30 second clip is different than listening to a whole a whole song on Spotify. So Spotify is a, a really critical piece to the growth trajectory of the music labels. And I think Spotify recognized that the, the leverage they had and negotiated better terms. And they've said basically that on earnings calls that they now have the leverage to move forward. And what I think the leverage is, is um, more spending on two-sided marketplace, which would completely make sense because in the re research we've done speaking to um, people at the labels, um, you know, they don't think that they spend much with, you know, the, the, the ROI that they get um, on the two-sided marketplace is generally very high. And, you know, at roughly $300 million, which I think it is um, roughly what it is in 2023, it's just not a lot of money. Again, these are, these are small, you know, we're still on a very small base here. So they could absolutely spend more. Um, it makes sense for them to spend more. And I think they can also retain the um, structure of the deal that they had before and um, and just show the same leverage that they're getting. You know, they, they can show price increases on their side. They can show the benefit of the pricing. Labels can show the benefit of the price increases from Spotify flowing directly through. And all that they necessarily, maybe all they have to do is move around some of their R&D and marketing budget over to the two-sided marketplace. And there's probably a schedule to do so. And that is very win-win for both sides because Spotify gets a, a bump in margin because it's, again, a contra revenue um, line item, um, which goes as a, it, it reduces the, uh, instead, it, 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 it's margin expansionary, but it's, it's a contra account. So it just, it gets billed as a, um, um, a reduction in the amount of money that's, that's, that's paid to the labels, if that makes sense. And, um, and the labels retain their, their, their model that 
you know, so uh, I think that that is open the doors to potentially more price hikes as Spotify adds more value to their, their user base. So I could see it being, depending on how much they add, you know, there's, there's a next, there's another, there's a fourth vertical coming. Um, we don't know what it is, but I guess is that it's something in education. Um, you know, as more and more things are added to the platform, um, they can add more, they can add more stuff, but even as it is now, it's undervalued. So I think pricing power is definitely not the the question here. It's more about the the deal they got with the labels, which I, like I said, I think that what it is, is, is more spending on the two sided marketplace, which comes out of their, you know, um, R and D or sales and marketing budgets. So, um, more to come. It's probably just the beginning. I think it unlocked what could be, um, a cycle of raising prices um, going forward. Yeah. I wouldn't be shocked if they added once every two years or something like that, you know, and no, nothing changes with churn, especially as they keep yeah. adding, the, adding more value as, as you mentioned now today they're. And it might be different because I know sometimes it's tough since they report in euros and the currency stuff can make it be slightly different depending on what source you're using at, at what time. But they're closing in on three and a half billion dollars in U.S. dollars uh, in gross profit on a trailing 12 month basis, yeah. or they'll probably be close to that in 2023. With that context in mind, yeah. how large maybe from both users and you know financials is Spotify's market opportunity? So we have them doing 3.4 billion euros in gross profit this year. So it's whatever, 3.6, 3.7. We have them doing something like 4 billion next year, maybe getting close to that and and 5 billion run run rate by exit 2025. So, I think it just the opportunity is more in the margin expansion. Um, it's also in top line growth for sure. Um, generally, forty percent of 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 uh, freemium uh, converts to premium, and as there's more reasons to convert to premium, like audiobooks and the fourth vertical that's coming, um, and a better experience um, on audiobook or with with podcasting. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if they can continue that forty percent conversion rate. So, yeah, you, you have you have opportunities kind of all over the place to make more money. It, there's so many. That what I like about Spotify is unlike a lot of most investments that 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 we make, there's just so many paths to the top. And and over the years, I look at our internal model and I just see how it's changed and grown and how we were so wrong about other things, but so right about other things. But then in the end, it all sort of matched and and worked anyway because you know something went up here went down over there and it's it's just an interesting company it would be like trying to underwrite uh, maybe you know like i said we were talking about amazon earlier uh, underwrite um amazon you know 10 or 15 years ago there was just a point n- not that it's going to be amazon or it has that kind of upside but um you know there's a point where you just have to kind of have a vision and you need to see that the team is executing on that vision and that the vision is backed by just an enormous market opportunity, just a wide open market opportunity, and that they are the dominant or a dominant player uh, with the financial resources to execute on that. And so um, I don't know how big it can be, but I think it can be materially bigger than what it is today. So, you know, just looking at the next 18 to 24 months, um, let's say you have, you know, 
let's say, and, and this could be too optimistic, so don't hold me to this, and, um, but exiting 2025, like a 5 billion euro um, run rate gross profit. And we're hoping that after the layoffs that, they're gonna, that they can hold their total expenses to run the company around 3 billion. Um, there's an analyst that came out yesterday, I forgot who, and raised her price target to 300 euros per share, or dollars per share, sorry. Um, based on very similar math, but for 2024, saying that um, he thinks that gross profit next year will be four billion, um, and costs they can get costs down from 3.4 billion after the rifts to roughly three billion um, next year. So that is roughly works out to about a billion in operating earnings or EBIT. Um, so. You know, I think the market is probably looking even past that and discounting maybe 2025, which looks, you know, two plus billion um, in EBIT. And so, yeah, it's, um, you know, that's kind of where I think where I think about it today. But it's that inflection. You know, this company has been hated for a long time. I've had this conversation with with um, even other tech investors among people that I know that are really good tech investors. Very few of them, some of them, but very few of them either have an opinion on Spotify or continue to own Spotify, um, you know, after maybe owning it in the past because they just, you know, they, they're just confused on kind of how things are going to work out and they're tired of waiting for this inflection to happen. And um, I think with the rifts that happened recently, you're, you're now going to see underneath the hood uh, the earning power that exists now under the hood, which was not really visible before, and it's going to open up, um, and and the you know and and, and you're going to also see uh, um, um, you're going to see the earning power going forward, you know, a lot easier as well because by seeing what's under the hood now will allow people to extrapolate, um, you know, the next 24 months or 18 or 24 months a lot easier than they're able to do today because. I don't know. Street consensus was like 500 million in in um, in 500 million in operating earnings for next year, and that just seems like or in 2025 or something like that. And some of these sell side reports I read, they're like, yeah, maybe the thing will make a billion dollars by 2027. You're like, are you kidding? No way. Like the the stock would not be where it's at if if the world really believed that that's all the earning power that it had was a billion dollars by or a billion euros by 2027 or 2026. So I think that these rifts will show people a little bit, give people a little bit of a glimpse into what's going on or the earning power of the business and what is capable um, going forward as we start to get leverage in some of the stuff we just we just talked about. Yeah, and you just mentioned the layoffs. I think we don't. Uh, if you don't have anything else on that, that's all right. But what, what are your talking about, uh, thoughts on their corporate culture in general? I know a lot of people yeah. have, as you mentioned, investors are quite negative on their corporate culture. So what are your what are your thoughts yeah. on that? And maybe thoughts on the CFO transition too. Uh, CFO transition, I guess, makes sense. You know, we, I don't work there. I'm not on the inside, so I don't really know. Um, but I guess looking back and reading Daniel X's letter totally makes sense. Um, you know, somebody said on Twitter, he's a Zerp era CFO, and maybe that's true. Um, it's a Swedish company, so it's very different culturally than an American company. In America, we've had, you go down a very long list of public companies that have done major layoffs this year major layoffs. So from Salesforce all the way down. Well, I guess Twitter or X um, laying up 80% was pretty extreme, but a lot of the small caps I cover have even had 
pretty big rifts. And not just in tech, by the way, but across the board. So there's been a lot of right sizing that's happened this year. But tech, it's been, you know, I'd say 10 to 25 percent layoffs generally across the board of stuff that we don't own, but just cover. I mean, you could just kind of Google it. I mean, it's Twilio, it's um, Appfolio. It's I mean, just just a long list of these companies that have laid off. It's, it's Meta, right? It's Google. They've laid off just tons. It's Amazon that laid off. Um, I don't know what percentage of their their white collar workforce they lot. It was like eighteen thousand people uh, white collar, and I don't know what percentage of their total that is. People refer to it as a percentage of a million plus workers. That's not right, because you know they were laying off corporate people and not people on the front line, you know, at the warehouses or in the grocery stores. But um, you know, so everybody has gone through this. So I think this just needed to happen. It's happened later than it should have. The company has been overstaffed for since it's since it went public. And my sense, talking with a handful of people that have worked there or are working there, I've always heard that the company is overstaffed. Uh, but I think there's some cultural differences. Um, if you look at the 1,500 people that were laid off in the spreadsheet that's going around, and most of them are U.S. people, many of them are in New York, so very high, you know, very high uh, um, salary people. It's not just the salary though that's going to save costs; it's the cost maybe around that person, what the person was spending. And and the social benefits, um, just the U.S. you know the the employer taxes associated with that, which can be you know fifteen percent of the person's salary. So um, I think they can absolutely save. You know, my my guess is this is three three hundred fifty to four hundred million euros in savings, and it'll happen immediately. From what I understand, everybody was shown the door and um, given five month salary. So you're going to have a big big hit, one time hit on next quarter's earnings. Um, and then after that, it'll kind of be bygones will be bygones. So um, I don't know about the corporate culture. My sense is that it's um, it went from a very decentralized kind of work environment to now a much more trying to centralize um, the work environment and get a lot more control over over what's happening in the business. That, that's just my sense. I mean, from what I know about other Swedish companies that I follow, um, it's a very they're very they tend to be very flat organizationally and. And, you know, Spotify being a big global tech company can no longer, you know, if they want to be a player and become a, you know, you know, two, 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 three, four hundred billion market cap company someday, um, they're going to need to be to look more like a U.S. company from from that perspective, be a much more aggressive, um, hold people to the fire more, uh, be quicker to fire, um, do more with less and, you um, and not be such a flat organization where, you know, maybe everybody has or a, l- a large number of people have input into a decision. Maybe decisions need to be, um, you know, it's more siloed. And I, and I do believe that's happening at the company, but um, just, I'm just comparing that to maybe what I know about culturally about other Swedish companies. Um, I do think that's what, what, what separates them from other smaller Swedish companies. that just can't find their way out of Scandinavia is um, Spotify is willing to do whatever it takes. And it's very clear with Daniel Eck and Lorenzo that they're willing to do their board is, is, is a global, global player board. And um, they need, they'll, they'll do what it takes to be, to be successful. And so, um, yeah, the rips were, were, were positive, I think. Yeah, I guess I mean, the CFO had to go. <laughs> Zerp CFO. <laughs> I don't know. I don't yeah, know. I think maybe, yeah, they... Yeah, I don't know what really happened there, but it, it. I think, I mean, they clearly had too many people, as you said, versus the company of their size. And as we wrap things up here, this has been a fantastic discussion. You know, we had a lot of things, yeah. reasons to be optimistic on Spotify, uh, you know, the podcast, uh, the advertising, the AI stuff, the discovery, how it all connects, connects together. 
I think if listeners kind of picked up, you know, we try to stay neutral as the interviewers here, but I'm also optimistic on the potential of the platform as well. But we got to talk pre-mortem, you know, we yeah, asked yeah, this for every uh, company. What, you know, why does the stock perform poorly over the next decade? The, the easy answer is that they just can't grow. You know, every company, every stock needs, every company to be successful, it needs growth. And if for some reason they just can't grow, um, and that's a combination of things, a combination of users, they, they still need to get their user base. I think their user base needs to be bigger. 600 million is a little bit small relative to the real heavy hitters, relative to YouTube and Meta, which both have more than 2 billion users. You, you need to get that user base up and they're doing a really good job. Um, but I think that that would be one reason. Second, there could be some technology out there that we don't know about today that's being created in some Silicon Valley garage um, that um, snatches the eyeballs away, uh, that moves the cons- the consumpt- the way, that changes the way that we, um, you know, the, the, how we um, consume things or the attention, you know, that takes our attention away from apps like Spotify and YouTube and takes them somewhere else. Um, I don't think that the death of Spotify has anything to do with crypto. I remember that was a little bit of a scare back a couple of years ago. People thought, well, if you just change the way music is owned, then it would just disintermediate uh, Spotify. But Spotify's value add is, is again, aggregating and search and discovery, which has nothing to do with the ownership of the music. Um, so I would say those two things, if it can't grow and um, or growth stalls and they just are kind of sub subscale which they are like i said subscale relative to the really big players um and or um there's just some sidewinder technology that comes out of, and just says hey we no longer um we no longer consume you know our music on on these apps we we do it somewhere completely different um that those are the two things that come to to my mind um of how, you know, potentially, you know, th- there could be some component to, you know, LLMs could, you know, we talk about all the, all the benefits to Spotify, but the, these LLMs are also benefits to anybody at the, on the, on, on that, at that end of the stack where, you know, the, on the, on the, on the, the, um, the application side. So the, it's the same reasons that Spotify, uh, the same opportunities that Spotify has and, 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 um, Gen AI are the same opportunities that Apple has, the same opportunities that Google has, and um, Facebook, et cetera. So um, it's not going to be, it's not going to, it's nothing is a slam dunk. And we need to be humble and stay humble and be willing to say, hey, you know, pull the plug if, if we need to. But um, up until now, I've just seen, it's just been really encouraged with the progress. And I think the progress that's happened in the last quarter, especially with the layoffs, is, is really a step in the right direction. So as long as the valuation doesn't get too far ahead of us, and you know, it's a mid thirties billion USD market cap company, um, you know, it's, it's not egregiously um, valued. And as long as that doesn't change, um, I think it's just, we just kind of watch it closely and see how things develop. All right. That's a great way to end things. Thank you again, Jeremy, for joining us. Now, where is the best place We'll include these again, as I mentioned, in the show notes. Yeah. Where's the best place for people yeah. to find you? Uh, people want to follow um, the fund. It's jdpcap.com. And if you're a qualified and accredited investor, you can sign up and um, get our get our stuff as we you know get our distribution list. 
And I'm also on Twitter, a uh, little less active, or X, I guess I'm a little less active, but uh, try to try to post things from time to time, but definitely check it. So feel free to DM me. It's Jeremy underscore deal. And um, those are probably the two best places to find me. All right, let me hit the disclosure. Uh, Ryan and I are not financial advisors and nothing we say on this podcast is a formal advice or recommendation. Ryan, me, podcast guest, may hold securities discussed in this podcast, may have in the past, right now, or may buy or sell them in the future. Thank you everyone for again for tuning in and we'll see you next time. 